Be part of an innovative fine arts community immersed in a top research university. Carnegie Mellon University's School of Music's world-class vocal department constantly works at the cutting edge of musical art forms. CMU performance faculty are creating projects that leverage musicians' skill sets in unique and applicable ways. Students are challenged to think outside the box as they engage with non-traditional performance spaces, collaboration with electronics, and improvisation, alongside a robust program of traditional studies, languages, recitals, and operas. To learn more about Carnegie Mellon University and to apply, visit the link in the show notes of this episode. This is So Lit Song Lit, a production of Cincinnati Song Initiative, where we reimagine the repertoire by introducing less familiar art songs through sound clips and lively discussion. I'm vocal coach Ellen Rissinger. And I'm soprano Tony Marie Palmertree. Join us as we explore this exciting repertoire. So Lit, So Lit, reimagining the repertoire. Today, soprano Jennifer Aylmer, professor of voice at Carnegie Mellon University, joins us again to talk about Ildebrando Pizzetti's Cinque Liriche. Now, I have to admit, I've played these songs, but I haven't really looked up much about Pizzetti. So what do we need to know about him, Jen? First of all, thanks for having me. And I, I found Pizzetti because I was looking for Italian songs for a baritone student of mine who did not want to sing any more Donaldi and did not want to sing any more of the 24 Italian hits. And I'm like, there must be something else out there besides your kind of standard Bellini songs, Rossini songs. I mean, everybody sort of knows these songs and, and it's not to knock these fantastic composers because, you know, singing on the vowel, I mean, sure, let's, Let's look at some Bellini. Let's look at Donizetti. Let's look at these kind of things. But this guy, he wanted a challenge and I was bored and I wanted to challenge myself. And so, you know, that's when I started reaching out into things like Respighi. So looking up at some Respighi songs and there's so many beautiful Respighi songs. Oh my gosh. And what I loved the most when I started looking into Respighi, because I haven't played a whole lot of that repertoire either, but what I loved the most was finding these sets I forget what they're called, but there are like two sets, like Serate Musicali or something like that. And there are two songs in Italian, two songs in French, and then two songs in Italian again. So cool to mix up the languages like that. Yeah, and it's unusual, right? So it started with Respighi. So like, you know, my journey as a voice teacher, you know, um, I've been a soprano my whole life, right? And I got to know the soprano rep really well. So when I started teaching and suddenly I could delve into repertoire that wasn't written for my voice, I was really excited about that because now I can, oh my God, I can, you know, look at low Brahm songs for my bass, my basses. I can look at, you know, um, more Bizet for my mezzos, you know? So looking for baritone rep, you know, was a joy for me. I was so happy to look for things in a medium key. So the Pizzetti came up. Um, I first heard this song, E Pastori, when I was going through my YouTube, you know, rabbit holes as one does, Spotify, Tidal, all that stuff. And I really love the tonal language. It's not Respighi quite. It's not exactly following the rules of tonality. It sounds kind of almost modal sometimes. And 
I really loved how he handled text setting. It's complicated because he tends to write syllabically, but there's an amazing freedom in that syllabification if you really get into the heart of speaking like an Italian. If you really embrace almost a recitative style of utterance and you can be free with your eighth notes, if you can be a little freer with the length of your quarter notes, then the language really sings. And the way he plays, the way he writes for piano, I think that also affords a great deal of freedom for the singer as well. One of the things we really loved about I Pastori is that we're we're not in the same time signature. Uh, there are moments when I'm in six eight slash three four at the same time, and Tony's in two four. Yeah, you know, looking at it, it looks like it's going to be very complicated. But like you were saying, if you just look at the natural meter of the language, you don't even have to try that hard. It just works. It makes sense. Yeah. yeah. to his use of leitmotif. And in I Pastori in particular, it's very reminiscent of Debussy for me, the end of Spleen, da, 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 da. that same kind of leitmotif, almost exactly, you know, written intervallically in the Pizzetti, it keeps coming back. And it's like a really wonderful thing to hold on to, to acknowledge as a singer, you know, you, you hear this leitmotif and it brings you back to your story. It brings you, brings you back to the atmosphere. The piano is like having its own little dialogue with the singer. And maybe that's why he's blurring time a little bit, because once you put it all together, it sounds completely organic, which I love. I, lo- I love the organicness of what looks very static on the page and maybe a little daunting for someone who's never seen this before. Mm-hmm. Once you get into it, and perform it, it feels incredibly organic. I think this is one of those moments that I would say exactly what I said about Fidili to one of my students. You know, you know the, the Duparc Fidili. I said, cover up the piano part. Once you cover up the piano part and you just look at the singer's line, you see that you have just quarter notes and eighth notes, and suddenly it becomes easy. When you start to look at all of it and you see that the bar lines are in different places, that can throw you off, and it's not it doesn't need to be that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. His dates, by the way, just for you listeners out there who don't know, are 1880 to 1968. Wow. Which is a huge span. And covers everything from late romanticism through serialism, through neoclassicism, I mean, everything else. Right. So he's no stranger to Bellini, but then he begins to see the Verismo decades Mm, yes. And then he's beginning to see post-World War II, like what's happening now. So coming up to 1968, I mean, when was John Zorn born? I mean, not too far from then either. I mean, you almost they almost overlap, right? Right. <laughs> You're talking about contemporaries. I mean, I was born in 1972. In this piece, though, throughout this cycle, really, or collection, if you want to call it that, because they're, you know, songs, but it's not exactly a cycle. You can hear elements of Debussy in it for sure. You definitely hear elements of the Verismo style a little bit in sort of Puccini-esque bordering Leon Cavallo a little bit, but they're very intimate 
the text yeah. settings are intimate, I find. I mean, some of them are a little bit more bombastic, but they all have this really wonderful youthfulness, I think. And when you say Debussy, that was exactly what I was hearing with San Basilio. There's this one moment where we get this D9 chord. So you have this very French chord, but it's kind of like Italian on top of French. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that piece too, it, that could really go wrong in the hands of someone who doesn't speak Italian too, because it could get static because it looks so up and down on the page and you just sing it that way, you're missing a lot. Right. So I wouldn't say that this is for a beginning student. Yes, rubric wise, in terms of like range and tessitura, mm-hmm. it looks very accessible super accessible for like a first year student. But the language bumps that up to an advanced level student. So we're thinking advanced fourth year grad students, definitely for professionals. I mean, for professionals, there's a lot for us to dig into. Oh, yeah. Totally. Yeah. totally. yeah, I would, I mean, I would love to sing any of these pieces. And I've actually transposed some of them and they transpose pretty well. You know, sometimes you transpose a piece and suddenly you're up on a high C. You're like, that was not my intention. I don't want to go that high. I just want to be a little bit higher. But because these pieces are written with really smart vocal gesture, you can transpose them a little bit, like a little, like, you know, a minor third here, up, down. And it's still pretty, you know, within the realm of I believe that. You're not taking something and and ruining the whole song because it not sounds suddenly sounds like a totally different song. Right. And I would say something like Debussy is really hard to change the key because he set the language in such a way that usually by changing a key, you're changing the entire mood of the piece. But usually with Italian, because the language itself has a little more up and down to it, I think, there's a little more license to go up and down a little bit and move the language around to suit the voice. Yeah. I mean, and again, even with e pastori, you know, you get e pastori. That was a real American R. Sorry, folks. Pastori. Um, <laughs> you know, it seems again, it seems super accessible. It's like I have all these notes. I can sing all these notes. But then, if you're a baritone and you've got to sustain that F at the end, it's like, aha, okay. So, how old is this baritone? Have they worked out that negotiation zone? But the vowel is right. I mean, it's not an it's not a real spread vowel he writes well for the voice. So I, I really, I enjoyed digging into these pieces a bit. And I was like, I wish I could assign them more. But again, because I work primarily with undergrads and usually a handful of grad students, I, I have to save these pieces for a very specific kind of singer. Mm -hmm. So I feel like I'm hiding them in a way I'm sort of 
coveting, you know, and, and hiding and, and very jealous of these pieces because I want to give them out, but I don't want to give them out to the wrong person or have the person struggle with them. I'm waiting to give, to assign them to like the person that I know would like get it and be able to sing it well and feel challenged, but also uh, enjoy themselves while they're singing these pieces. And I love the last one in particular, that one, I think the Pasajata, I think that one probably is the most accessible for a youthful singer, mm-hmm. although it's long, it's the longest of all the songs, but it, it really, it's a simple musical conversation and it has great storytelling. And I would say the one right before that, I think it's called Il Clefta Prigione. Again, we have this one section in there where there's these really funky chords. And it's kind of like a C major seven. And I mean, like with a major seventh, but the person doing the major seventh is the soprano. So you were saying about modality, like we get these crunchy, really interesting chords. And then we get just a regular, normal major chord it's kind of like the sun comes out. Yeah. You know, it's sort of like... <laughs> exactly. Totally. And you can, you know, you can look on the score and you know something important is happening. Yes. <laughs> it's like, wait, something's happening. It's, yeah, it's a beautiful moment. He, yeah. he, knows, he knows how to write. And again, the piano is like building color and adding depth to the storytelling. word painting is kind of overused a lot of the time but he is word painting in a very subtle way in the piano part it's beautiful with his sostenudos so again I I guard them jealously (laughs) (laughs) so we've been focusing on these cinque lirike but does Pizzetti have more songs that we could look into yeah um there's individual songs he has a lot of operas so if you want to look at some arias in there, I haven't seen a lot of just like individual songs floating around out there, but I know that they exist. I know, I know they're out there, but again, with the operas, there's so much we just don't know. I mean, we have our standard Italian operatic fair, right? We do Lenote di Figaro like every couple of years where our school is doing Così Fantute. Mozart is like a staple. You got all these Rossini operas. I mean, there's a lot we don't know. I mean, I, I, and I don't know these operas. And I was surprised to see like how much opera he wrote. And I'm like, oh my God, I, I've been living under a rock. I didn't know. It's so exciting because, you know, when you're planning a recital, you want to sing in Italian, but the Italian repertoire is seemingly so elusive. But then you listen to these songs and it's like, what? Why have we not done this? It's They're amazing. And we didn't talk about this when we did the episode on Santo Liquido, but he also has an opera and it's stunningly beautiful music. Amazing. And he's an, another amazing like songwriter. 
he has beautiful texture in the piano, beautiful, you know, vocal writing, so smart with the vocal writing. I mean, I, I, I'm convinced, I don't know this for a fact, these, these, these composers surely have sung. They've surely taken voice lessons and, and sung and gotten to know their voice, or if not, they've gotten to know the people they're writing for because they're beautifully written for the voice. Our guest today was soprano Jennifer Aylmer, Associate Professor of Voice at Carnegie Mellon University. Musical performances on this episode were performed by Tony Marie and Ellen and recorded at the Camp Recording Studio in Elizabethtown, Pennsylvania. Purchase information for the scores discussed in this episode are available in the show notes. Please rate, review, and subscribe to help others find this podcast. Episodes drop every first, third, and fifth Thursday of the month. So Lit Songlet is a production of Cincinnati Song Initiative. You can learn more about their network of podcasts at cincinnatisonginitiative.org slash podcasts. Are you craving incredible song recitals? Are you interested in a behind-the-scenes view into professional song making at the highest levels of artistry? Are you looking to develop your own artistic and entrepreneurial skills as a classical musician in this ever-changing 21st century landscape? If you found yourself saying yes to any of those questions, look no further than Cincinnati Song Initiative's week-long program, The Fellowship of the Song. Taking place this year from May 19 through 26, The Fellowship brings together some of the country's brightest song performers and teachers for a week of classes, concerts, and study events. And we invite you to join us as an auditor, either in person in Cincinnati or online, wherever you may be located. When you join the fellowship as an auditor, you gain instant access to the entire week's events and can go back and relive the magic through HD video recordings of each and every session. To learn more about this incredible new opportunity, visit CincinnatiSongInitiative.org audit.